This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And Libby Hartfield is retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today we welcome one of our favorite bird watchers, Steve Peterson, back to the program. Yesterday was the first day of spring, and right now we have immature eagles and nesting adult eagles in Mississippi. So we'll talk with Steve about these birds and where you might could find them this time of year. Also, Dr. Major's here to answer your pet questions. And if you've had a recent brush with wildlife that you'd like to share, please don't hesitate to give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464, or you can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday or just would like to listen to the show again, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Libby, do you have any events uh, to promote? Oh, yeah. You know, it is spring. Yes, indeed. So everybody wants to get outside, and I, I'm... You can't blame Chief them. among those, yes. <laughs> okay, so let's see. This Saturday, March the 23rd, there's a um, native plant workshop in Clinton at the Nature Center there from 9 to 3. Call them if you want details and want to get, in, get on board for that. And then um, the Gulf Coast Audubon, Mississippi Coast Audubon, has their first owl howl. Hmm. Mark Woodry is going to be leading that at Ward Bayou Wildlife Management Area. So that would be a good thing. Again, I would say Google Mississippi Gulf Coast Audubon and you can find it. There are other field trips all around the state with um, other groups, particularly Audubons tend to lead those. Then, uh, let's see, next week, April the 6th, is that um, first Saturday of the month field trip at LaFleur's Bluff. And it's also Nature Fest Day, so a lot going on Mm -hmm. in the Jackson area. And then Earth Day will be coming up April the 22nd, and there are lots of activities. We'll be talking about that more in a couple weeks. All right. So I think uh, most people know that this time of year, there's that yellow pollen all over our cars and houses and and anything that uh, that is a a surface. And a lot of people, fortunately, I'm not bad with allergies, but it, it really hurts a lot of people this time of year. Uh, Dr. Major, what about our pets, cats and dogs? Do Can they suffer from those kind of pollen allergies like we do? We see some dogs and cats come in that were black at one time and now they're yellow. <laughs> uh, and they're right, they're right down with it, you know, as far as the, the pollen itself. Uh, we see a lot of seasonal allergies. I think uh, there's a lot of different causes, but uh, maybe not quite as much as uh, with people. Uh, as far as this time of year. However, we do see sneezing dogs, sneezing cats, uh, and uh, maybe not quite the degree that we're, you see it in people. Mm-hmm. Okay? But, uh, yeah, it's there. I think about our pets all the time, you know, and, of course, there's this big thing with Roundup now. And, of course, pets are right down on the ground uh, with it, oh, and uh, it makes you wonder... Uh, I've used Roundup for years, and uh, I'm just saying that uh, it makes you wonder, uh, since they're in such close contact, licking their paws, this sort of thing, 
that uh, there may be some connection with some of the cancers that we're seeing with pets. Well, obviously, that's a good point, though. If you if you are doing some you know work in your yard and are using some, you might want to make sure as best you can to keep your pets away probably for the next couple hours while it's maybe absorbed into and doing its deed on, on the weeds. Yes. So um, similar solution to allergies for pets than humans? You know, the antihistamines work pretty well for some, uh, and usually that's all that's needed. As far as true allergy, uh, there may be more evidence a lot of times in skin situations, uh, uh, allergies concerned with uh, dogs and cats, both licking excessively, chewing uh, excessively, uh, licking feet especially. Uh, we see the white dog that comes in with brown feet uh, because it's licked them uh, excessively. So in answer to the question, yes, some of the treatments the same. Uh, at the same time, it seems like a lot of the allergies are more chronic than acute that we see. Uh, and in the news, the most popular dog breed in the country for the 28th straight year, this according to the American Kennel Club, is the Labrador, followed by the German Shepherd and the Golden Retriever. They're, they're trying to keep up with Ford uh, as far as... <laughs> <laughs> only, the only thing I would say about that is that uh, if you notice, that's AKC registrations that uh, mm-hmm. are involved with that. I think labs are definitely, especially here, are right up there at number one. Uh, but at the same time, there are a lot of breeds that uh, are not necessarily AKC that are very popular. So uh, I would say that, yes, Labs still definitely would be number one. I looked at the others uh, that they had actually on, on TV, the German Shepherd, the uh, uh, French Bulldog, English Bulldog. These are breeds that uh, in registries, there's a lot of them. But at the same time, we don't see that many in everyday practice. So what, what uh, maybe the what top two or three uh, types of dogs that you see come through your clinic? <laughs> One of the top ones is a pit bulldog. Uh, we see a lot of pit bulldogs, and they're very popular. Uh, they make excellent pets. They have a bad rap mm-hmm. uh, to a certain extent because a lot of times people do not uh, take care of them properly, train them properly, and some people would rather have them to be somewhat vicious, and they can be. So these are dogs that have to be uh, very watched carefully. And I'm just saying that, again, when you mentioned that, that, uh, yes, that's one of the predominant breeds. Labs are probably the predominant still. And then we see a whole lot of other type dogs. We see a lot of uh, rat terriers, Jack Russells, uh, and and other other breeds that we may not stand out on that. And some of these breeds are not registered with AKC, they would be with CKC. Uh, so there's different registrations, registries as well. Okay. Uh, we've got a couple calls to get to before our first break, so we'll start the morning out by saying good morning to our friend Sue from Beaumont. Sue, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. How's everybody? Good. Good. I'd like to report a bird sighting. I, I, there's a brush pile on the corner of my yard, and two, the other day we saw two huge woodpeckers, red cockaded woodpeckers fighting over this brush pile. And I was wondering why would they be focused on that? Or do, they don't make nests in brush piles, do they? Uh, no, no. Red cockaded woodpeckers nest in tall pines uh, that have some problems in, in the uh, core wood. Uh, 
they were squabbling with each other or something. Yeah, they just could be. It, what what you could have seen is you could have seen uh, a mating. Uh, you know, oh, courtship. Okay. You know, there, <laughs> might not have been such a fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's you know, it's there's oftentimes uh, with with birds and other animals, uh, courtship and 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 fighting are there's a thin line separating them. Uh, you, you could be uh, get really confused. You know, if and if it, say it's a rival male, then the same thing. Well, you kick him off the territory. But if it's a it's a fee, potential mate, then. Same thing works for that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thank you. All right. You're welcome. Thanks for the call, Sue. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're going to get talking throughout the day with our guest bird watcher, Steve Peterson, about the eagles in Mississippi, but also other birds that we might be seeing in Mississippi this time of year. And Dr. Major is here for some pet questions. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. Before our first break, we'll talk to Kevin in Oxford. Good morning, Kevin. You're on the air. Good morning. How are you all? Good. Uh, Dr. Major, I had a question for you. Uh, our Pomeranian has been on a Hill Science Diet, and I just got a notification this morning that it's uh, been recut. There's a recall because of excessive vitamin D in the, uh, in the canned dog food. And uh, she has been declining for about three years while she's been on science diet, and the symptoms seem to be exactly the same, what they're noting in the, uh, in the recall notice. But our doctor, our veterinarian diagnosed her with Cushing's disease, and, uh, you know, I was just wondering, it seems like the symptoms are pretty similar, and if you, if you know anything about that recall. Right. I I was not aware of a recent recall. I know there was a recall uh, several, well, a month or so ago and did concern vitamin D. And uh, I, I would I would talk to your vet uh, or either do it personally, contact uh, Hills about that. Uh, there are, uh, they are interested in knowing exactly what's happened and possibility that they, that the vi- excess vitamin D could have caused some problems. So I would suggest following up with that. Uh, okay, could, well, that's the end. Go ahead. Cushing's disease is one of those things that, how old is this dog? Uh, 15 or oh. 14 and a half. Okay. So she's been around for quite a while. Right. Uh, and that's one of those things that uh, certainly whether or not the D, excess D could have caused it or whether it's actually been in excess for that long, I'm not sure. And I would co- definitely contact Hills about that. And, and uh, they have people that are willing to talk to you if you get connected to the right ones, okay? Okay, I appreciate that. Yes, sir, thank you. Thanks, Kevin, for your call. Let's take our first break. Uh, it's uh, When we return, we'll talk with Steve Peterson about where you can find eagles this time of year in Mississippi. Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions. So call in at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 7464 You can email us, animals at mpbonline.org. So earlier you heard us say that the Labrador is once again the most popular dog in America and has been for 28 straight years. But before that streak, there was another long-running favorite breed in America. We'll let you know what that was after the break, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the hour, bird watcher Steve Peterson. We're talking about the eagles here in Mississippi, where to find them, and what they do this time of year. 
and also uh, other birds that you might see in Mississippi. And, and we'll always look for your wildlife observations as well. If you want to join the conversation with a question or a story, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. So before the break, we talked about the most popular dog breeds in America. The Labrador won again this year for the 28th straight year. This is according to the American Kennel Club. But before that streak, the most popular breed for 23 straight years was the Cocker Spaniel. And we are thinking now close to 30 years ago. So uh, it's been a while for the Cocker Spaniel, but it had an impressive run as well. So, Dr. Major, we were talking about some of the, the dog breeds that you see uh, in your clinic, and, and you mentioned during the break that you, you see a lot of mixed-breed dogs as well. Right. Certainly a plug for the uh, mixed-breed dogs and the adoption of uh, mixed-breed dogs. Uh, certainly some of the better dogs that I know are uh, mixed-breed, and, of course, exactly what it says. Uh, there's a wide variety. Genetics is a wonderful thing. And uh, you can see some amazing, amazing dogs at the pound or rescue groups. And uh, I would say that that probably for us is the number one, uh, if you want to say a number one breed, is the, the mixed breed dog. We've got some open phone lines on Creature Comforts. If you want to join in our conversation today, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Uh, we are visiting this hour with our favorite bird watcher, Steve Peterson. Steve, thanks for being on the show with us again. Glad to be here. So we're going to be talking about eagles, but what are maybe some of the other birds that you've been uh, seeing around this time of year? Well, uh, we've been looking at uh, some of the wading birds, the egrets and the herons, especially when they they have been coming in to roost at dusk. And uh, every chance we get, we dip into Mays Lake and there are some big cypress trees around some of the bigger oxbows there where uh, cormorants, great egrets, great blue herons will come in to to roost. And uh, over in Rankin County, not too far from here, is uh, is a great, great blue, great egret uh, rookery where they are nesting at this time. And what time of day are you usually coming there into Mays Lake? At the end of the day? At the end of the sunset, day, dusk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. because you get in and you see uh, other interesting things and you hear frogs starting to call, things like spring peepers and, and uh, leopard frogs, and you see things like beaver and uh, uh, mink. We saw a mink. I hadn't seen a mink in, in years, and we saw one crossing the road there. Uh, it's just... Uh, you know, if you get a get a yearly permit, all you got to do is, you know, tap in your number and go in anytime you want to. It's just, you know, it's a wonderful place. And uh, but the uh, uh, and you see things like you see eagles. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last eagle I saw was uh, across the street. <laughs> and, across the street from the studio. Yeah, really, across yeah. the street from the studio, just right across Lakeland Drive. Here it was. A, uh, at at sunset, mm-hmm. and it was going. It was purposely going somewhere. It was an immature bird, but it was at coming at treetop level, like a doing a bomb run. Uh, it was pretty impressive. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> what what breed of eagles are do we have here around this time of year? Well, almost I would say probably almost all of them are bald eagles. There are some records of golden eagles in the state, but uh, the the ones that we have, and I and I'm talking about 
you know, the, the, generally people see them and they're going to see them at around bodies of water, and that's the bald eagle, which uh, is is pretty much it's it's a it's a, a type of eagle called the fish eagle. You've got several, and and they go after fish, and so they're going to be around bodies of water. The confusing thing I think for many people is that they're not always they don't always have the white head. They're not. They don't mature. What they get their white head maybe four five, or five years. Yeah, something like that. And they and they go through the like. For instance, the eagle I saw. Uh, it was on February sixth. Is the one I've been talking about. And it was an immature. And it was streaky white and brown, and uh, which is what a lot of them are. And it and and uh, it just over the years, over their first five or six years, it takes them a while to get the the white tail and the white head and the big yellow beak. And so uh, most of the ones I see are immatures. You know, one other thing I guess that I'll mention while we're at it, when we talk about immature, I get a lot of questions from people just wherever I am about animals. And often with an eagle or a bird even, they'll say, well, no, it couldn't have been immature. It's It was real big. It was full size. <laughs> and the incredible thing about birds... When they leave the nest, that's often their highest body weight they'll have of their whole life. Yeah. They've got good parents feeding them all the time. So when an eagle leaves the nest, he is very much immature. Exactly. He doesn't have the white head, and he's probably the biggest, mm. he or she is probably the biggest they're ever going to be because they've been well fed. Yeah, it's, it's like people think that screech owls are baby great horned owls. That's mm. not the way it works. I mean, they once they... Once they start flying, they're 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 they're, they're adult size, and the only difference is is plumage and behavior. So when we talk about eagles, <clears throat> my favorite joke is the golden eagles are down in Hattiesburg. But would you actually find a real golden eagle anywhere near Hattiesburg? Uh, it's possible. I would pr- I would assume that a a wild golden eagle came in from the west somehow. Uh, there we do have some specimens in the collection at the museum, and uh, of course, I believe that oh, that Southern does have a mascot. So, uh, or, it, or there might be one at Kemper Park. Is yeah. there? Is there, yeah. one, is there I'm not sure. There used to be one on campus, there. but there's yeah. there's yeah. a lot of not anymore. Right. Yeah. All right, uh, let's uh, get a phone call in and talk to Rick from Noxabee County. Good morning, Rick. You're on the air with us. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, um, I, I have a question. We, um, we, my wife and I were sitting on our porch, and one day she looked up and she saw, I'd say, a group of nine or ten birds flying in a very large circle. And we were we thought they were buzzards at first, but then we noticed there were white heads up there. Mm-hmm. And then we got binoculars out, and so we're watching these things, and they were eagles. And uh, they were just having a ball, just flying around playing with each other in this giant circle. And... Uh, Anyway, in Knoxville County, there there are a lot, a whole lot of eagles. We have a lot of catfish farms down here. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, I wife, have seen that once, Rick, in the Delta, a similar yeah. kind of thing where they were just yeah. flying together, soaring. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do y'all know what that behavior is by any chance? Yeah, uh, we were fortunate once on a Christmas count to my wife and I encountered, uh, I think eight at once in a group, and they were swooping and flying and and taking advantage of the updrafts of warm air to to sort of ride an elevator of air up and then swooping and and some sometimes they would two birds would come together and clasp talons and uh and and spin around 
and uh, that's a, a sort of a, a mating, a courtship type procedure that they, that they will do. And uh, it is it's it's really a fascinating. Anybody who sees that is is lucky. Uh, we had we had some of the some of the birds we saw in this group were immatures, and they were doing it. Yeah. So so, but yeah, they they will do that now. You know, you've got you know with with. Birds of prey soaring, a lot of times they are just taking an elevator, saving their energy, you know, not flapping their wings very much, and just, and they'll be riding up high and then glide further as they search for prey. But, uh, you know, they're kind of social birds, and, and so they'll be having, you know, and it looks, like, it looks like they're having a great time. You know, I wish I could do it one, at least once. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it did. They were, they were having a ball. It was yeah. uh, real interesting. Yeah. We have uh, my wife's family. They have a, a camp house, and they have a large pond there. And uh, there's a nest that's across the pond that's been there at least 10 years. Yes. And uh, every, every time we go there, we, ha- we sit on the porch with binoculars watching that nest. And do they do they use do uh, do they does one family leave a nest because they've had a lot of babies I know that do they uh, leave the nest and another uh, family take over the nest later no they tend they they tend to be pretty faithful to their nest uh, unless something happens to it natural disaster maybe the wind blows it down or something they'll pretty much stay at that nest and uh, and and have you know they'll have repeated. Uh, you know, clutches of eggs and, and broods of young, and uh, and sometimes these nests are huge. I think the record may have been maybe one that was nine feet high. So they'll they'll add every year. They'll they'll do housekeeping and add add sticks and branches to it, and uh, so and they and they become well known. In some cases, too well known. Uh, and uh, so it it it's uh it if I can just suggest that you know whenever if somebody asks me well where's the nest and i'll say well it's in madison county you know i won't give anybody else any any more uh directions as to that because you know there's going to be somebody that knows where it is anyway and and they you know it's just not a good idea to have tons of people going around and standing under the nest and as a matter of fact it's the uh it's a uh, federal violation to disturb a nest, so uh, but uh, the, it, yeah, it's fascinating. Watch it with watch it with binoculars or a spotting scope, and just enjoy it that way. You know, another thing to consider talking about how big the nests are. I have read that they're um, be up to a ton. Yeah, how much they weigh. It's an incredible architectural feat for that bird to figure out how to build something that big and heavy. And it stays secure in the tree and not break limbs and things. So I, I don't know how instinctive and how much problem solving they have to do, but it seems like a pretty difficult task. Apparently, birds' instinctive behaviors just won't let them stop until they reach that magic moment of you know the, where the nest looks like it's finished, and they just have to keep putting stuff in and putting stuff in. <laughs> All right, Rick. Hey, thanks for the call. Good call. Glad to hear from you this morning. Uh, Before our next break, uh, let's uh, talk to Timothy, who's uh, called in from Louisiana. Good morning, Timothy. Good morning, y'all. What do you have for us? I have a question about least turns. And, and, you know, I've seen them on the Mississippi, and I'm wondering when it's high water. Yeah. Coming in, like, later this month, 
you know? Yeah, Timothy, that's... Where they'll divert to, you know? I hear frequently at my house, that's one of the species my husband works with, and they're having a bad year, and... uh, talking about how long eagles live least terns live a long time for a small bird and so they may get 15 16 18 nesting mm-hmm. seasons in their life so yep. that helps a lot but they have very low nesting success because of a lot of factors but one of them is high river messes them up and that's possible mm-hmm. they're finding a few places where they can nest but not much yep. the last yep. few years have been very hard on them one of the things though that is I've interesting seen uh-huh. in, in, i've seen them nesting in uh kansas uh-huh mm-hmm. yeah uh, i can't remember the name of the wildlife yeah. refuge but uh, in, in the middle of kansas Overall, in Indiana at a nuclear power plant. Wow. (laughs) Well, they're a very successful, widespread species overall. You know, they've had some problems. They've been on the endangered species list, but uh, their numbers are recovering or or have recovered over the last 20 years to amazing levels. Mm -hmm. And there's now some evidence. You know, we used to think that the, the coastal population and the inland population were really separate, but... There's uh, there are better ways to track birds now, mm-hmm. and uh, there's more play back and forth between those that that nest on the coast and along the rivers. They just seem to be uh, a, they're a really interesting species. I'm glad you brought them up. We should do a whole show on these they are, they, Yeah, they're nifty species. Thanks, Timothy, for your call. It's time for another break. When we get back, we'll continue visiting with Steve Peterson, our bird-watching expert for the day, talking about eagles and other birds that you might see in Mississippi. If you have some bird observations, especially eagles or other birds of prey, we want to hear from you, so give us a call. Also, Dr. Major, always ready for your pet questions. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. During the break, see if you know the answer to this bit of eagle trivia. How far can an eagle fly in one day? We'll have that answer for you after the break, so stay tuned. Running a business requires smart decisions every day. Make a good decision for your company today and reach MPB listeners through MPB program underwriting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org underwriting. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell, here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the hour, birdwatcher Steve Peterson. We're talking about some of the birds that you see in Mississippi, specifically talking this morning about eagles as well. So if you have a wildlife observation, a bird question or observation, or a pet question, you can give us a call because we've got some phone lines ready to take your call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 877 Six seven two seven four six four. Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So the four, before the break, we asked about how far an eagle can fly in a day. Eagles monitored with tracking devices have been known to fly 50 to 125 miles in a day during migration, depending on the weather conditions and wind currents. That's according to the National Eagle Center. So that's, uh, that's a pretty good distance there for a day. Um, so, uh, Steve, are do we have eagles as year-round residents, or do they migrate in uh, this time of year? Uh, both. Okay. I mean, we have we have year-round residents, and we have eagles that'll come in from the from the north, uh, like a lot of other birds during the winter. Uh, it 
you know, I have no way of, you know, the average person, you know, just or is going to have no way of really telling unless they see an eagle that's been tagged, you know, with some, uh, what, you know, colored tags, numbers, or such like, such like that. Uh, so, you know, the, yeah, just to reiterate, Lancer is both, and uh, but we have we have a number of, you know, we've got a lot, to, uh, well, back when I was a kid, it was, you know, rare, but now we have a fair number of eagles nesting. I mean, they're kind of a success story nowadays. Oh, I think very much so, yeah. yeah. We, I remember when I first started at the museum, there was one eagle nest that we knew about there yeah. at Wool Market on the coast, yeah. and it was a consistent nest that was there for a long time, and uh, then they just, in those 40 years, they've come back all over the state. Yeah, they have. I mean, you you don't think of being in the in the capital city or any other city, and oh, there's an eagle, but you know, it's it happens a good number. I mean, we don't even really write them up as a as a rare bird anymore. It's, we keep some records, but not, we don't track them like we used yeah. to at the museum because they've gotten what when you got over. I think I think he had a hundred pairs maybe yeah. recorded, and then. You can, or we can start watching something else now, yeah. start, start worrying about I mean, something else. Yeah. But it, most of that, too, was the chemical response DDT. that, the, that um, birds' bodies had to DDT. Yeah, the and, eggs, the eggs yeah. didn't have enough calcium in them, and so when they sat on them, they squished them. <laughs> so what do we mean when we say nesting? What, what exactly? Is that fixing up the nest? Uh, well, I was always taught that the... Nest the bird's nest was where it laid its eggs. So if you've got one of these that just lays its eggs on the ground and wherever the eggs are, but so a nest is where the eggs are, and it may include building a, a, a nest with with different materials around it, or just moving sand or dirt around. And in the case of eagles, you know, just a spectacular edifice of sticks and and branches and all sorts of stuff. And generally speaking, each species of bird will have a certain way that they nest, yeah. whether it's on the ground bare or whether they build in, you know, prefer certain trees and certain types of nests. Some are real elaborate. Yeah. Robin nests and, you know, thrasher nests. And you can, after a while, you get to the point where, you, oh, yeah, that's that's twigs and, you know, we, I know what that is. And, of course, things like hummingbirds' nests you know, uh, made out of stuff like lichen and this is a good time when you're watching birds on your feeder to watch where they go and mm-hmm. see if they consistently go back to a tree. You might get your binoculars and search in there and find a nest, particularly with hummingbirds. To me, that's just, I, I try that every year to watch my hummingbirds and find, and every now and then I find the nest. And it's really fun to, you know, again, stay your distance and don't bother them. But I don't know why that's always been exciting to me to find that it looks like a little walnut in the tree when you mm. find it. And then once you see it, like anything else, it's like, how did I miss that? It's right there. <laughs> well, my yesterday my wife and I were watching a Carolina wren who was just daring us to come any closer. <laughs> and they nest everywhere. Anywhere they want to. When I was a kid, my mother would hang clothes on a clothesline with clothespins, and she had to buy an extra clothespin bag so that the wren could nest in there, <laughs> and because that's where it wanted to nest every year. Yeah, don't leave your shoes on the porch for yeah. too long. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. We're visiting today with bird watcher Steve Peterson, talking about eagles, but also some of the other birds uh, that you're finding in Mississippi this time of year. Dr. Major's here, ready for some pet questions. And we always like to hear your brush with wildlife. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to Jackson for our next caller. Perry is on the line. Good morning, Perry. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. I love birds and watch them all the time. We live out in the country, but we have noticed that uh, uh, meadowlarks and uh, kildees and all are just disappearing from the fire ants. And I wondered if there uh, is there anything we can do about that. Yeah, the, those ground nesting birds are, yes. really have a terrible time, and fire ants are not the only problem. Chemicals are a problem. Uh, people tend to um, uh, closer mow or crop things tighter mm-hmm. using chemicals to get rid of weeds, right. which are the places where they like to hide. They have a real. The the best thing you can do is to leave undisturbed pasture land. As pasture exactly. land, it needs to be mowed when there aren't any birds nesting out there. But it, you know, fire ants come in disturbed land, and if you want, if you really enjoy those kinds of, I know people that kind of keep a little meadow somewhere on their property for those kinds of birds. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah. it, it's sometimes um, anything you do to disturb the soil tends to attract fire ants. You know how it is around your house. Well, I've seen also uh, my bluebird boxes are covered up when the birds hatch out. They are covered up with fire ants oh. up in the box. Yeah, I would try to use some bait around the base of those um of, of you know of the um whatever you have the the box on if you have it on yeah. a post or a tree. I would try to do something um to get rid of those fire ants. Good luck. I know, yeah. I know. I said that. It's so hard. <laughs> it is, because you don't want to damage the birds by what you're putting out there either, you know, so it's difficult. Yeah. But thank you so much. All right. Thanks for the call, Perry. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Off to Gulfport we go. Barry's called in today. Good morning, Barry. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, I've been following a, uh, a pair of uh, great horned owls, a uh, they started hooking up in October. They were talking to each other, mm-hmm. and uh, and I saw them together in um, in January, and uh, in 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 January also. I, uh, my wife and I saw them mating, but they chose they chose to nest in a um, in a rookery for uh, for the heron. And they just plunked themselves right right in the middle of it, and I, I'm familiar with that. And, and there, there's always been a, about seven nests there, and they um, and they have uh, they, they've actually chased off the heron. One one nest has survived. There's there's one there, and they just kind of have a truce between them. Uh, that the, you can you can see the uh, the owl she's nesting, and then there's, there's one heron kind of hidden back in the trees. They, they still have a nest. Well, great horned owls are pretty f- uh, formidable birds themselves. Uh, uh, as far as owl, the owl species are concerned, that would be the closest thing to a, a bald eagle. Uh, and uh, if they're nesting and there is food, uh, they're going to go after it. 
and with uh, water birds like herons, it doesn't take all that much to mess up the the uh, rookery, especially if it was a small one. Like I think you said, uh, did you say seven birds? To- seven. Yeah, there's about yeah. Every year there's about seven, seven nests. Yeah, fourteen yeah. birds maybe. And so so that would uh, you know they'll they'll abandon and and go somewhere else. And in some cases. You don't know why they've abandoned a certain place. We've had some yellow-crowned night herons that used to nest in a certain place in in Mays Lake, and they just up and switched one year. And uh, they tried to return. Yeah. And uh, and I've I've seen the owl actually chasing yeah. them out of out of the territory. Well, see, great horned owls have an advantage. They, as you as you noted, they they were hooked up pretty early. And by February, like, well, if you're on the coast, it'd be a little bit early, maybe a week or two earlier. But here in Jackson, I would uh, assume that great horned owls would have young in the nest around uh, Valentine's Day. And uh, then within a, and and so then they have to be fed. And the male has to feed the, the young, bring enough food for the young and for the female. And so he's going to be out there, any owl, or as a matter of fact, any bird of prey is going to, the male is going to be going out and getting things all the time. So with, if you're nesting in a, in a, a target-rich environment like these two, these, bird, these owls seem to have done, then it's, uh, you've got to worry about the, the, the colony surviving. All right, Barry, thanks for your call. Appreciate you calling in this morning. We need to take one final break this hour. Marsha's on the line. We'll get to her call as well. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting this hour with our favorite bird watcher, Steve Peterson. We're talking about eagles and other birds in Mississippi this time of year. If you'd like to join the conversation, still time. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 We'll be back with more after this. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And our guest for the hour, bird watcher Steve Peterson. We've been talking about eagles and other birds that we see in Mississippi this time of year. There's still time for you to join in on our conversation. Call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. Let's go to Vicksburg. Marsha has called in today. Good morning, Marsha. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Uh, I'd like to tell about my dad's experience with a little bird. He loved to grow tomatoes, and every spring he'd plant several tomato plants. And when they got big enough, he would tear up an old sheet, and he would tie the, the plants to the stakes. Well, one day he looked out, and all his ties were gone. And he thought, well, did I just think I staked them, and I didn't? So he tied them up again. And the next day, his ties were gone again. So he hid behind the curtain and watched, <laughs> and a little bird was coming along, and she was working and working and working, and she untied all his ties. Well, he loved birds as much as he loved growing tomatoes, so he thought, what am I going to do? So he hit on the idea uh, his yard had a chain-link fence. So every so often down the fence, he would tie ties of fabric. And so the little bird would come and work and work and work and turn upside down and everything to untie those ties. 
but she left his tomato plants alone, so he got that problem solved. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. That's such a wonderful easily. story. Yeah, that's great. I'd love to have seen that nest. <laughs> <laughs> well, he used a yellow sheet, so... <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, Marsha, thanks for the story. That's all's well that ends well in that one, that's for sure. Uh, still have some time left for your phone calls at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. So, Steve, everyone knows about blind as a bat, but we also have the saying "eagle eye." How good of eyesight do eagles have? Very good. Uh, in fact, all birds of prey have excellent eyesight. In fact, they can. Uh, their it's their resolution. In other words, the sharpness of their just how they how well they focus. They can see stuff. Uh, far away and, and of course, make out what it was. I mean, if you had, say, uh, back in the old days, I used to use the uh, example of a cigarette pack. They, if, they, if you had a, a bird of prey that could read, they could, and had cigarette pack like a couple blocks down the road, they could tell you which one it was. Hmm. And, and so, so they, they can, uh, so they, they're able to spot things better and more, and more clearly than say we can. And, uh, so consequently that, you know, if you're a predator, that, that, that helps. And also, of course, all predatory birds have their eyes directed forward. They have stereoscopic vision, just like, just like we do. And, uh, they're able to tell exactly how close something is or how far away it is and uh just zoom right in on it that's interesting the structure of the eye for the owl is not opposite but close they have a different type of cell yeah in the back of the eye and they have the night vision yes. then, as opposed to the acute day vision and of course and owls eyes don't move if you see you know they're popular in ads but if you see an ad with an owl's eyes go, move move from one side to another, that's inaccurate. The owls have sort of a uh, and a cone uh, uh, structure, uh, you know, uh, it's called a sclerotic ring, and it's just, it's just fixed immovably in the eye. Now, eagles have the same thing, that ring of bone right about where your iris would be, but it's, it's movable. And, uh, yeah, but, of course, the owls, they have sort of it's i wouldn't call it necessarily so much night vision as the the uh rods in their eyes uh, amplify the the uh available light there is mm -hmm. and then they have the wonderful hearing which an eagle being a uh or or a hawk being a, a diurnal bird of prey wouldn't necessarily need uh so it's uh bird vision is just is is fascinating it's uh, it, they they just they do see of course if you're flying you've got to have good vision <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean you're not you're not gonna fly very far or often <laughs> we've got a couple of calls uh to get to so let's uh, visit with our friend kathleen who's called in from osaka you're on the air with us kathleen good morning hi kevin glad to see you back thank you uh you, you missed a beautiful day. We've been having some beautiful days. Listen, um, I got a funny story, and this is about hummingbirds. I told it years ago, but it, it's worth laughing at again. I had broken my ankle, couldn't get around much. So all winter I was kind of like, oh, well, I'll do something here. And I started saving all the lint 
from my dryer <laughs> to put out for the hummingbirds in the spring. I had two great big bags, and I made sure it wouldn't get wet, and I put it out there. Well, I had some new burgundy towels, and all that red lint was going in the mix. So I put it out there, and one day I was walking by, and I had someone working for me. He says, Miss Kathleen, he says, why is this nest purple? So I walked over, and it just made me laugh and feel so good. As eccentric as I was, saving the, the lint from the dryer, it actually went to some good use. So yeah. I, got, I got my pass it forward. Right. And I hope you all laugh at that as much as I laugh at myself. All right, Thank Kathleen. You. Thanks Bye. for your call. Good to hear from you. Uh, let's uh, go now. Dudley's on the line from Calhoun County. Good morning, Dudley. Go ahead. Good morning. Enjoy your show so much. Thank you. I have a motion light that is in just under an open garage. This bird has built a nest. It's, it's a mixture of mud and moss and all kinds of things. And I think this is the smartest bird that I have ever come in contact with because she has the warmth of the motion light because it comes on quite frequently. Uh-huh. And then the uh, just underneath the garage, she has a safe place as far as the, uh, the weather is concerned, and there's nothing that can crawl up to where this, <laughs> this motion light is. And I just wanted to share that story. I enjoy watching her so much. I thought about tearing the nest down, but then it, after all that work, no, no way. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's just too good. Uh, have you identified the bird yet? A friend of mine told me what kind it is, and I can't remember. It sounds uh, like it might be a Carolina wren. They will nest no, anywhere. No. Is it like cemented to the side? It could be a Phoebe or yeah. a swallow or, yeah. It has a black head and a gray body, but a very black head. And it, it is most Jesus. determined Sweet. and most, <laughs> well, I just can't believe how smart the bird is. <laughs> oh, send us a picture if you can, Dudley. That sounds fun. Yeah, we'd like I to see a picture. Will. All right. I'm having trouble sending pictures. I, I don't want to overload you, but enjoy the show so much. Thank you. Thanks, Dudley. Always good to hear from you. Um, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. A couple minutes left for our conversation with bird watcher Steve Peterson. So, Steve, we talked about uh, the eagle's uh, great eyesight. Uh, so, and I guess to me, I think of Hollywood or whatever. But you think the image of an eagle or a bird, you know, swooping down and like grabbing a fish and and then flying mm-hmm. off with it, is is that actually the way they kind of that swoop and go, the way they hunt? Yes. It, it now Hollywood, of course, with the with the video part gets it right, but with their calls, the Hollywood is almost always using the call of a red-tailed hawk, a a. Uh, Bald eagle's call is sort of a twittering chirp. It doesn't sound very majestic, <laughs> you know, like the the scream of a red-tailed hawk does. But uh, the sound people in Hollywood are just told to get something that sounds good, and and so they do their do their prescribed job. Uh, yes, uh, the they'll swoop down. I watched a an eagle catch a big catfish at the Barnett Reservoir once and he just swooped down just like not as not as spectacular as an osprey but uh just came and swooped and plucked it right from the the surface of the water and uh 
which is a good lesson for catfish. You know, <laughs> and they'll take fish away from each other. Yeah, too. and that yeah, yeah. There's there's the call of the that. Do you see that doesn't you know that? Whereas if you have a uh, hear a red tailed hawk call, that sounds more fierce. Yeah. But but this is a uh, all of the uh, fish eagles, which is what the bald eagle is, uh, have calls kind of like that. All right, that's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, funded provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Steve Peterson, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned up next at 10. It's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.